Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Heavenly Fathers, we open your word. Again, we pray that our hearts would be tuned to your word. We listen to your word. Our hearts would be tender towards your word. We thank you for your word, for the revelation that you've given to us, of your love for us, your compassion, your care, your guidance. And, Father, we learn from uh, the lessons of these uh, dear uh, men and women of the Old Testament, even. As Paul said, all Scripture is profitable for us. And may we learn today things that will help us in our walk with you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As we go to 1 Kings chapter 19... Just want to take you back for a moment to where we started this study uh, last August, and we started the study of Elijah. And just to remind you of who we're talking about: Elijah, the prophet; Elijah, the one who is who the very last words of the Old Testament, as the Old Testament comes to close in Malachi, chapter four. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah. Before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn, he, that will, God will use him, to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And as John the Baptist ministered in the spirit of Elijah, and Jesus even said he has already come in that spirit. And then we see on the Mount of Transfiguration that Moses and Elijah are the two individuals who are there with Jesus in his transfigured state on the Mount of Transfiguration. And others believe that Elijah will be one of the two witnesses in Revelation um, that will be there. We don't know for sure, but Elijah is this prominent, powerful, important prophet who God will use to turn the hearts of Israel, his children, and the people back to the Lord. And then we saw last week in James that concerning prayer, as Elijah prayed for the rains to return, that Elijah, like how the King James puts it, was a man of like passions as we are. He was human. He had feelings. He had experiences. He had disappointments. He had victories. He had temptations. He was just like us. And today as we turn to 1 Kings chapter 19, I want you to keep that in mind, that he was a man of like passions, a man of like humanity, a man of like flesh as we are. After chapter 18, the wonderful story that we read a couple of weeks ago of, of, the, of the contest with the prophets of Baal on Mount uh, Carmel, where they were defeated and where God sent that powerful message where the, where the sacrifice and the offering was destroyed and licked up and, and gone, and God's presence and fire and power was so obvious that the people all responded and said, Yes, Elijah, we will follow God. And then the rains came at the, as Elijah prayed and prayed fervently, and God sent the rains in response to his prayers. That's what James tells us. Yes, it was God's plan. Yes, it was God's sovereignty. But yes, it was Elijah's prayers. It clearly tells us that. Wonderful victory. And we come to chapter 19. Now Ahab, the king, Ahab, told Jezebel, the queen, everything Elijah had done. 
how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now remember, Jezebel's father was a, was a priest of Baal. Jezebel was, one, was the one who was with Ahab really behind this change in Israel of worshiping Baal, of, of leaving God. Ahab goes home and he tells his wife everything that had happened. And he killed all the prophets. And Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Jezebel dares to send this message to the prophet of God, who is just, God has used to, to bring these mighty, powerful demonstrations of, of who he is and turn hearts and change people's lives. And Jezebel says, you send the message to him that by tomorrow at this time, he is going to be dead. I'm going to kill him. By, I swear this by my gods, this is going to happen. Now this is one of those stories that it would be helpful if we'd never read it before. If you'd never read this story before, if you'd never heard this story of Elijah, if you were reading this for the first time, maybe some of you are, given what we've seen so far, one would expect Elijah to do what? Huh? Respond back. Come on, bring it on, Jezebel. Let's you want to do this again. We'll do it again. You, you, you didn't hear what happened to these prophets. You didn't hear what God did, how God is using me, how, and I brought the rains on the land, and everybody understands that God is at work. You would expect that Elijah would respond. This is one woman. This is one woman. He's, he's been up against hundreds of prophets. Against the whole nation. The whole nation, has, is in a sense, briefly, has repented and changed. One woman sends this message to him, I'm going to kill you tomorrow. And we see what, if you'd never read this before, the last thing in the world you would probably expect to happen. Elijah was afraid. Afraid of what? What was he afraid of? He was afraid. And he ran for his life. He took off. He left. And he was heading south. And he was going as far away as he could go for one reason. He was afraid for his life. He was afraid. Elijah was a man of like passions as we are. He was he's so human. He's not a superhero of the faith. He is so human. And he's afraid. He's afraid for his life. And he runs for his life. I mean, think of, the, think of his, his testimony. How, how, what is the rest of Israel going to think? That here they had responded to this powerful demonstration of God's, of God's might and power. And it changed their hearts. And they said, whoa, yes, we'll kill these prophets. We will follow God. How is this going to affect his family, his friends, the nation, the king, the queen, the nations around them, that Elijah just takes off running. And everybody knows why he's running, because he is afraid of Jezebel. He's afraid. He runs for his life. And Elijah's heading south. It reminds me of another prophet, that Jonah, whom God said, you go to Nineveh, and Nineveh it was this way, and Jonah went that way. And got in a boat and took off and left, not because he was afraid of the Ninevites, because he was afraid that God would do what he said he would do and spare them. 
And because and later on he says, God, I knew you were going to do that. That's why I ran. And he took off and he ran. And Elijah runs the opposite direction. And it says in verse 3 that he came to Beersheba. This is a very important place in the story of the patriarchs of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is at the very southern end of Palestine. This would be down to the gateway of the Sinai Desert today, the Gaza Strip. If you're going to go south and you're going to leave Israel, this is where he was going. He was going south. He was leaving the northern tribes of Israel. He runs through the southern tribes of Judah, and he's heading south as far as he can get away from Jezebel, running for his life. And he came to Beersheba in Judah. And he left his servant there. It is kind of interesting. This The story begins to take on some of the, the history of the Old Testament. He leaves his servant there. What's going to happen with Elijah is between him and God. And nobody's going to be with him. He, le- he leaves his servant there. He leaves his attendant there. And he continues his journey all by himself. And while he was himself, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. He sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. Elijah was so depressed, so discouraged, so despondent. Jezebel has threatened his life. And for whatever reason, this, it just clicks. And, and he goes. And he's so despondent. He, he gets to a place where he sits down under this tree and he, and, he, and he prays to God. He says he prayed. Remember, this is the man who, who of, of fervent, powerful prayers. He prayed that it wouldn't rain and it stopped raining. He prayed that it would rain and it rained. Now he prays, Lord, kill me. Take my life. Lord, I want to die. And he joins a company of Old Testament saints who prayed similar prayers at different times in their life that, that God would just take their, would just take their life. He, he, is, he is as far as he could be. And he, and he prays to God, God, take my life. And this is what he, this is what he prays to God. You know, he doesn't bow down and say, you know, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this food. You know, he's, he, bows, he goes before God and he says, God, I've had enough. I have had enough. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I, I, this, my ministry has, has failed. I've, this, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a loser. I'm at I'm a loss. Take my life. I'm no better than those who've gone before me. None of the other prophets said, no one else has changed these people. No one else has been able to do this. I'm no different. Just take my life. Just take my life. And he's underneath this tree. And he prays, take my life. And he, and he lays down and he falls asleep. Falls asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. God sends an angel. We see this throughout. We see this throughout the Bible. That you know, this this whole study of angelology of angels is a, is a fascinating study. There's an awful lot. There's more we don't know than we do know, obviously. But the angels are ministering spirits sent by God, and we know that even our Lord Jesus Christ, in His hour of need, was ministered to, and all of His friends forsook Him. He was ministered to by angels. Angels had some had something to do with the transaction of giving the law through Moses, the, the, the apostles tell us. 
the angels have a ministry. They have a place in God's work. And an angel is sent by God. Whether maybe, was it an archangel? Was it the second person in the Trinity? The angel of God? An angel was sent and touched him. And said, Elijah, get up and eat. Get up and eat. And he looked around. And there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. Does that sound familiar at all? The life of Elijah? Huh? Remember the story of the widow and they, and they had no food and she had enough, she had enough uh, uh, wheat and, and meal to make one last meal before they would die? And Elijah is the one who told her, no, go make me a meal. Bring me a meal. Bring me some water and God will provide. And that woman went and made that meal. And that woman brought that water. And for the rest of the time, God provided that oil and that, and that for the meal and the, and the water. And they survived. And it was by his hand, by his prayers that this happened. And now the angel comes and says, Elijah, wake up. And there right next to him. Is, is, a, is a bread, is cooking. It's cooking on the, hot, on the hot stones. It's cooking and it's water. And he ate and he drank and he laid back down. He, he is so exhausted. He, he, he is so done. He is so finished with all this. And he lays back down, still wishing that God would just take his life and just take it and, and be done with it. But the angel of the Lord came back a second time. And touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. It's, it's too great. You're not going to do this without food and water. Get up and eat. So he got up. He ate and he drank. And strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. Now, we need to stop here because some of you have a lot of background in the Old Testament. Some of you not not so much. But there are some clues in this story right here that you should be picking up on if you you have some background in the Old Testament. There are some clues here that that what is going to happen with Elijah is typical of what God does in the Bible. And it's part of Israel's story, and it's so important. And that is, the first clue is what? Do you see anything there that's important that would reach back to earlier stories in the Old Testament? What is it? You see anything? Come on, you can talk. What? Forty days. Forty days. Forty days. Now looking ahead, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ, forty days in the Mount of Temptation, um, while Satan tempted him. But forty days is the time that Moses spent... At Mount Sinai. Moses goes up that mountain. And in, and, in, and in Exodus chapter 34. In Exodus chapter 34. I'll read this to you. In verse, in verse 28. As Moses goes up Mount Sinai. And the Lord said to him. Write down these words. The words of the law. For in accordance with these words. I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. I have made a covenant. I have bestowed my grace. My covenant upon the nation of Israel. Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. 
I don't quite understand that. I, I've never gone 40 hours without bread or water, let alone 40 days. I'm not sure I've gone 40 minutes sometimes, but, but 40 days. He, he survived and whatever he went on, and he was up there for 40 days without bread and without water, and he received the Ten Commandments, and, and, and God gave him the, the Mosaic Law. And Elijah, for 40 days, travels on that last meal that had to sustain him for 40 days and for 40 nights. And his destination, and, and who is directing him there, how, why he is going there, um, it doesn't tell us. But he is going to Horeb, the mountain of God. Horeb and Mount Sinai are the same place. We know that clearly from Scripture. Mount Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is in the Sinai Peninsula. There's a historic, traditional site today where there's a monastery at Mount Sinai. We don't even really know if that was the actual site or not. You know, the sands and the land have shifted in Mount Sinai. Um, you know, there's not, I read a book a long time ago during the time that Israel occupied Sinai and gave it back. And said, it's basically... It's basically a, a place for tank, tank battles and Bedouin shepherds. I mean, it is not a place you would go. But he travels to Mount Sinai. and God led him to Mount Sinai. He leads him right to the very place where, where this whole story with Israel began. This whole story of the, of the Mosaic Covenant, the giving of the law to Israel, the call for these people to represent God and to be his representation on the earth and be a light to the Gentiles to show how much God loves and cares and how much He gave the chosen people. It all began at Mount Sinai. And Elijah is sent back to Mount Sinai. Forty days and forty nights he traveled on that last meal and he went to Mount Sinai. And there it says at Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, in verse 9, he went into a cave and he spent the night. This should be another clue Another connection with the Old Testament story of how important what he's, what God is doing with Elijah. Because we read in the Old Testament, and we're going to see that Moses went into a cave. We call it, you know, we sing a song, in the cleft of the rock, and what? Cover me there with his hand, with your hand. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock. Comes from this idea where Moses went before God, and Moses was discouraged too. Moses was up there on the mountain getting the tablets of God, getting the Ten Commandments. Moses was up there on the mountain in the presence of God getting the Ten Commandments. And down below, the people of Israel were doing what? Building an altar, making a golden calf to worship and to bow down. And his brother Aaron, who was his spokesman before Pharaoh, is in charge of this project for whatever reason. And Aaron and the people and the leaders, everybody but Moses and Joshua, Joshua's up there with them. And the people are down below and they're, and they're, and they're worshiping. I mean, he's been gone for this, he's a, 40 days, 40 nights. He's up there in the mountain. And already the people have, after, after being brought from, from, from the land of Egypt, going through the Red Sea, being fed manna, you know, all these miracles, seeing the hand of God and, and the people this, that have dedicated themselves to God and they're already ready to, to leave it to, and to worship an idol and to make a golden calf and to bow down and worship it. 
And they're making so much noise. They're celebrating. There's tumult. And Joshua says, Moses, I hear the sound of battle down there. And Moses says, that's not a battle. That's the sound of idolatry. And you know what happens. Moses goes down and he's so angry. He is so human. He is so angry that he takes these tablets that have been inscribed by the hand of God. And what does he do with them? He throws them at them and shatters them and breaks them and chastises the people. And God sends them back up the mountain. He goes back up that mountain. He confronts his brother says, what are you doing? Well, we were afraid you weren't coming back. And Moses goes back up that mountain. And God gives him the tablets again. And God promises him, Moses, I'm going to take these people. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to lead you. And, and, and I'm going to bring you to that land. And Moses, Moses, the servant of God, dares to say to God, God, you go before us. Don't you dare stay here. You go before us. And if you don't go, I'm not going. And God, I want to see your presence. I want to see you, God. You know, you were at the burning bush. You've done these miracles. I want to see you before we leave this place. You know, I'm taking this nation. I'm I'm a nursemaid with with a million babies. And I'm taking these people to the promised land. And I, and I want to see you. And I want to see your glory. And look, and, and in Exodus chapter 33, if you want to turn there, you can. Exodus chapter 33. I mean, look at this. These, these, these people are so, so much like us. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, You have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You want me to lead them. Who's going who's to go with me? You have not told me that. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation, these are your people, God, not mine. This is your nation. This is them. I never asked for this job. Remember what Moses said when God called him? He said, I'm not going. God's, God called him and God revealed his name and gave him his, finally Moses says, God, fine, but send somebody else. I'm not going. I've told you before, one of the greatest books ever, titles of books ever written, Here's, Here Am I, Send Aaron. You know, I'm not, it was by Jill Briscoe, I think it was. Here Am I, Send Aaron. I'm not going. But he went. And now he reminds God, this, these are your people. These aren't my people. These are your people. And you told me your presence, verse 14, will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all your people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, Okay, I'll do it. I will do it. I will do the very thing you've asked, because I am pleased with you. And I know you by name, Moses, Moshe. I know you by name. And Moses says, show me your glory. You know, I want to see your face. I want to see you. That's fine. You're going to send me, but I want to see you. I want to see you. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. 
and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face. That is an indication he asked to see God's face. I want to see you, God. I keep seeing everything about you, but I want to see you. And God says, you can't see my face, for you won't live. No one will see my face and live. And the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and then you will see my back, but my face you must not see. And he gives Moses in chapter 34, he gives him the new tablets, the new tablets of God. And in verse 28, exactly what God predicted took place. The Lord said to Moses, verse 27, write these down. Verse 28, Moses was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights, and God passed by him, and he proclaimed his name as he went by, the Lord of mercy and and grace and love and the God of justice and judgment. And Moses evidently saw the backside of God as he he passed by, and and it was a terrifying thing. And it was so, it was so spectacular that what you read here afterward, Moses comes down from the mountain and and from being in God's presence, his face is radiating the presence of God to the point the Israelites say, Moses, you're blinding us. Cover up your face. We can't see. He came down shining like, like from the Mount of Transfiguration, but he was shining and radiant and God had passed by. It was in that cleft of the rock that God encountered Moses and the reality of who he was dealing with and the mission that he had. And listen, it would be nice to say, it would be nice to say, well, Moses, everything lived happily ever after. He came down the mountain, his face was shining, and the people responded and said, yes, Moses, we will follow you. We are sorry, we will never do this again. And from here on out, the story is a story of what? The story is a story of constant rebellion trying to overthrow Moses, getting to Kadesh Barnea, as we talked about, Alan and I did this morning, and God saying, you go into the land, and I'm coming back and say, we can't do this. Why did you bring us out here to kill us, Moses? And to the point that, that Moses says, God, take my life too. These, these people, they're not, they're not going. But Moses continues. And he finally gets to the point where he brings him to the brink of the promised land. And he gets to stand on that mountain and look across that water. And he gets to see that land. And God says, Moses, you can't go. Moses begged God. These people are just like us. Moses begged God, God, why can't I go into that land? He begged him so much. Moses tells us the story himself. That finally God said to Moses, don't bring this up again. Parents, you ever said that? Don't bring this up again. You are not going in there. And Moses didn't. And it's in the context of that story of Moses and Israel that God brings Elijah to Mount Sinai, to the very place some Jewish scholars and rabbis teach, and we don't know, we can't say, we can't say this for sure, but it's an interesting thought. Did he come to that very cave? Did he come to that very place where Moses stood and encountered God? And he comes to a cave in 1 Kings 19, and he spent the night there. And the word of the Lord came to him in verse 9. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, what, what do you read into that? God, God says to Elijah, as if God didn't know. Elijah, what are you doing here? 
What are you doing down here? You were, you're supposed to be ministering up north to the land, to the nation of Israel. What are you doing down here, Elijah? Might we read into that? Elijah, how did it come to this? How did it come to this, Elijah? How did it get to this place where, where you were down here where Moses was and you're not up there where I sent you? What happened? How did you get to this place? And Elijah, who is just as honest with God as the old, these Old Testament saints were with God, just like Abraham arguing with God, God, you mean you would destroy this place for the sake of, of 10 people? 50, 40, 30, 20, 10. God says, enough. The bargain's over. <laughs> these people talked with God. These Jewish leaders from the Old Testament, these, these, these patriarchs, these prophets, they were honest with God. And, and, he, and he says, verse 10, I'll tell you why I'm here. I'll tell you how it came to this. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You. I have been zealous for you. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They have broken down your altars. They have put your prophets to the death with sword. Don't forget, prophets of God are being slaughtered. Obadiah hit a hundred of them, remember? They're slaughtering your prophets. They're tearing down your altars. He he neglects to to remind God about the victory at Mount Carmel. (laughs) They're putting him to death, and I'm the last one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. They, one woman, Jezebel. And the Lord says to him, verse 11, Elijah, get up and go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Listen, you can't read this without reading Moses. Elijah, you're back here where the story started. You're back here where Moses was. And just as I passed by and Moses saw my presence and he took that with him and he went back and he took those people to the promised land and did what I said. As hard, as difficult as it was, as discouraging as it was, he did it. Elijah, go stand on that mountain. Come out of that, come out of that cave. I want you to stand out here on the outside of that cave because I'm going to pass by you. And I just love this story. This is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. I'm going to pass by. And a great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Have you ever been in a hurricane or tornado? Have you ever survived that, been through that? You know, we were in the Midwest and a tornado came near our house in Minneapolis and uh, we weren't in the middle of it, but we weren't far away. And uh, and we saw what happened afterward. Huge Dutch elm trees just... Upside down. When that wind came through there. And that wind was so strong and it came through that mountain and it tore the rocks apart. And rocks were falling and the wind was blowing. But the Lord wasn't there. He sent it. And he went by. But he wasn't there. And after that wind, there was an earthquake. Have you ever been in an earthquake? Huh? I remember the Nisqually's quake, and I don't, I don't know how that, where that sits with all the other ones. It wasn't that long. It was pretty strong. I was standing right there in my office. I was talking to a, a couple from our church. We were having a counseling discussion session, and that quake. You know the thing I remembered so distinctly about that earthquake? Um, it wasn't that Alice was going to save me, you know, because she was there too, you know. What I remember so about, I was standing right in my doorway between my office and your office there. 
when the, saying goodbye to these people when that earthquake happened. The thing I remember so much about that, I don't know why, was the sound. It was the sound. It wasn't so much the shaking as there was this, there was this dull roar that I remember. And it was frightening, even though, it, fortunately, it lasted so short because as it's roaring and it's shaking, you're thinking, what is next? But this earthquake kept going. And the mountain shook and the rocks are falling again, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire. You know, we were reminded this last summer of the terror and those, those men down in Arizona that fired that, that those specialists, those guys who were trained to fight these things. And that fire turned like that and swept through and destroyed all of them, killed all of them in an instant. And this fire came on this mountain, the wind and the earthquake, and this fire came flashing. And certainly God, fire is God's presence in the Old Testament. Pillar of fire by night. Fire that came down and, and ate up that altar when they had the contest with Baal. And the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came the sound of silence. That's what the Hebrew says. How can silence be a sound? What it says, there came this sound of nothing. But it was something. It was something. But it was nothing. It was so still. It was so quiet that you couldn't even describe it as a sound, but you could hear it. You could hear it. And the interesting thing is, when that happened... It doesn't say God was in it. It doesn't. It just says Elijah knew it was God. He knew it. He knew that God was there now. And when he heard that sound of silence, that sound of nothing, it says Elijah pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and he stood at the mouth of this cave. And a voice came to him because God was there. And said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Same question. What are you doing here? Same answer. I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. Have you ever been discouraged? you ever had discouragement in your life? Elijah was a man of like passions as us, men and women here. He was a man who could pray passionately. He's a man who could mock the priests of Baal and say, maybe your God's sleeping and not be afraid of him. But he hit a certain point of discouragement and he was finished. He was done. He was discouraged. He was desperate. He was despondent. He asked for his life to end. What I really like about this lesson, what really strikes me when I read this lesson of Elijah, this, he hasn't given up on his discouragement. He says, God, I, I already told you, but I'll tell you again why I'm here. He's standing in the very presence of God. I don't know what he's seen. I don't, he's covered his face. But somehow, like with Moses, God is, God is right there in this sound of silence. 
What I love about this story is God. What God doesn't say, he doesn't reprimand him. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't fire him. He doesn't say a word to him negative. He comes to Elijah and says, Elijah, go back. Go back to work. Go back where you came from. And, he, and it's, like this, it's like this business report. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't address. He just says, Elijah, go back. I'm here. You've, you've seen me. You've heard me. I want you to go back. And when you go back, here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to anoint Hazel king over Aram, or Aram, not even a, not even a Jewish nation. I want you to anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. I want you to anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Abel Mahola. Sounds like Hawaii, doesn't it? Abel Mahola. To succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of... It's like this list of... He doesn't, even, he doesn't even address Elijah's discourage. He says, Elijah, go back. I love you. I've called you. I think. I understand. I, I understand why you're discouraged. Go back. Go back and go back to work. Work through this discouragement. Work through this difficulty. Go back. It's not going to be easy, but go back. Just like Moses, I'll go with you. Here's what I want you to do. And by the way, in verse 18, I reserve 7,000 in Israel. You are not the only one, Elijah. You are not the only one. This is his only reprimand to Elijah. And it's pretty gentle. Elijah, will you please remember there are 7,000 others who are, are just as much in danger as you are. They will not bow to Baal. Jezebel will want to kill them as much as you have, as you. You are not the only one, Elijah. Go back. In verse 19, Elijah went from there and found Elisha. And he goes back. And he finishes his ministry. And he's taken by God in a whirlwind. And he's the one that's going to come back and announce the kingdom. But Elijah, a man of like passions, so human like us. We studied Ephesians last year, the spiritual warfare. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the heavenlies and authorities and rulers. Take on the full armor of God. We talked about that. And I want to remind you, just like with Elijah, the battle is never over. There is never a day this side of eternity where we finally are going to be able to say, I am finished with with, with Satan. I am finished with opposition. I am finished with discouragement. I am finished with the flesh. From now on, I am just going to be in a state of perfection and peace, whatever you want to call it, because it's not going to happen. And in fact, in fact, it is oftentimes, it is oftentimes after the great victories, after the great successes, when things are on top of the world and we let our guard down and we think it's always going to be this way, that Satan attacks. It was after Mount Carmel 
that he was so vulnerable because he was maybe so confident that he hit rock bottom. Discouragement is part of our humanity. And I want you to take home with you today. We're in the Old Testament today, but this is a principle that, that, that goes throughout scriptures. When the Apostle Paul was in, was in Corinth, and we read in the book of Acts, as, as he was there and, and he hit rock bottom, he, he'd been called by God, he had traveled, the man of Macedonia had called him over there, he, he goes in there and all he does is break up the synagogue and people are threatening him and there's riots every place he goes. And, and, and he's so discouraged, the Apostle Paul is, that one night God says to him in a dream, Paul, don't be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. No one's going to attack you because I have many people in this city. And Paul stayed there and went back to work. Listen. Find that quiet place. In our world today, if ever, as a time, if ever there was a time where the people of God need to find that quiet place, it is today. It's not... It's not just in the thunder and the lightning and the storms and the power and the majesty and the excitement. But if you don't have that quiet place to go along with the fire, you're vulnerable. That was in that quiet, still place that God was there. Be still and know that I am God. And wherever you are in your walk today with the Lord Jesus Christ, your walk with God, your work, your ministry, your service, your family, your friends, whatever going on, your finances, whatever is in your life, and if you get, and you get to those places where it's discouraging, it's difficult, and maybe even times where you just want to stop and quit and say, God, I'm done, that's it, there's no more, I want to remind you, find that quiet place. Find a place. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to go anywhere. But to the Word of God, to a time of prayer, and to find that quiet sound of silence and let God speak to you. And listen to that gentle voice of God that reminds you, you are not the only one. I know it seems like it right now, you are not the only one. Many have been there. Many are going there. And many will go there in the future. But I'm here with you. I'm here with you. And I will go before you. Go back. Go back and do what I've asked you to do. I am with you. Be still and know that I am God. Technology is a wonderful thing. Uh, I updated my iPad with the new operating system last night, and I forgot to go through and do some of my set some of my things I always do. So as I'm preaching to you today, one of your birthdays popped up on my screen. I'm not going to tell you who it was. It's your birthday today. Said, told me right there on my iPad. And I forgot to turn off birthday calendar because that's connected to something else. But you know, that's you know, I'm an old guy. I'm not like I'm not like you guys here. You know, I'm I'm an old guy. I know that. But even me. My life is really, I mean, I've got notifications, updates. I've got five email accounts. I've got, you know, a cell phone. I've got messaging. I've got all this stuff. And it's really hard, isn't it, 
Isn't it hard to just sort of ignore it? It's hard to ignore your birthday when, you, when it popped up here. You know who you are. <clears throat> it's really hard. And if there ever was a time, it's hard to take time and to be still before God. But if there's ever a time that we need some time with God alone, it is today. We need to do that. You need to do that. I need to do that. Let's do it. Let's do it. And let God speak to us. And let God lead us where he will lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us, your kindness. Lord, I thank you how you treated Elijah. Uh, You had every right to chastise him. He, He shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have run. But we all understand. And you were kind to him. And you gently reminded him in your presence of who you are, what you do, and who we are. And I pray, God, that you will gently remind each of us who you are, who we are, and what you do. And that we will be quiet enough before we move to follow you and to walk with you. We love you. We thank you for loving us. We are your family. In Christ's name we pray.